So you have a 510k, now what? Before you can even think about the commercialization process, there are strategic moves that you need to make to ensure your product's success on the market. Have you de-risked your product? Have you created a sustainable pre-commercialization model? In this episode, the MedTexperts discuss everything from outcome studies to reimbursement pathways and how these strategies can ensure your MedTech success. This and much more with the MedTech Business Academy. Joining us today from the MedTexpert team are... Hi, my name is Mike Spurduti and I am the CEO of Emerge Sales. Hi, this is Ted Newell, CEO of Medical Device Success, home of the Medical Device Success podcast. Hi, I'm Scott Alexander, CEO of Gyrus Marketing. This is Skender Derity, CEO of the Clinician Exchange. I'm Barbara Strain, principal and owner of Barbara Strain Consulting. I've, I've started, a. I don't know if I've told you guys this before, I mean, if I've I've, I've interviewed a few of you. I got to interview you, Skinner, and you, Tom. But um, um, I have started a podcast and forgotten to click the record button. <laughs> got like five, ten minutes in, and a, oops. That's why Tom very, has an engineer. Yeah. Fortunately, I had very patient. Those two times, they were very patient guests. <laughs> uh, okay, so we're recording. All right, great. So today we're talking about our. It's sort of pet peeves, but 510Ks and 510Ks, so what? What does a 510K mean and how it can be misinterpreted in a number of different ways? And we might even touch on patents here in a second. But um, so, Skinner, you brought this up. 510Ks, so what? Yeah, I, I think it's interesting because I think a lot of people put a lot of stock into the 510K, um, yet they don't do the right preparations for it. Or... They put too much in terms of the valuation of their company. I mean, I've seen so many companies that are early stage that come out of the patent, which I think Barbara's going to let her know her pet peeves in a second about patents, but they get their patent. They, they expect this flush of capital to be thrown at them. Then they get disappointed. So then they raise around the capital to get through the regulatory process with the whole goal of 510K being the ends to that mean. Okay. And they raise whatever it is, one, two, I think uh, recent studies have shown that it takes about $2.5 million to do a 510k clear filing uh, successfully. So they raise $2.53 million, whatever it takes to get there. And now they get there and that was the end to their means. And now they expect again, this round of money to be thrown at them because they've got this product that is approved to be sold. And I think they're just coming up with massive disappointment because what the market repeatedly tells them is let us know that there's a market there de-risk this for us show us that there's a market show us how fast you can get to a million dollars in sales and then we're willing to give you this give you give you potential acquisition offers but i just think there's such a misnomer there around that and people aren't thinking ahead of time whether there is a market there or not for them, they have to be thinking commercially in their strategy beforehand. Yeah, I, I run into that frequently where people with a new idea think they're going to get a strategic partner right away, either because they have a patent, which goes back to Barb, or they've gotten some type of regulatory clearance and they think they're going to get some type of strategic partner right away. And that's just not been the experience that I've seen. I think a couple other people think, jump in. Yeah, I mean, I think having worked for a venture capital fund, I mean, what I can tell you is the acquirers don't buy concepts. They don't buy technologies. They buy revenue. And so you, if, you're, if you're thinking like, hey, I got this great widget for fill in the blank, 
they really don't care, right? They care about the revenue that can be generated by that thing. And so until you can de-risk it, like Skander's saying, you're just, you're, you're, gonna, you're, you're not gonna get the attention that you expect. And if you don't plan on building this company to be a sustainable business, your valuations and the things you're going to think about and all that, you're going to put yourself in a bad spot. And then you're going to realize two years in, three years in, five years in, like I made a bad, bad decision because I thought I was going to sell it four years ago. And now I've got to continue to grow it. And your, your results will be less than optimal. Right. And I, think I would one add of the- that at this point too, you know, companies should be thinking about, you know, going through the FDA or regulatory process is completely different than going through the pre-commercialization process. And you might want to think about it if you're a uh, innovator at the same time, uh, although there's a lot of balls to juggle there. But, um, you know, you mentioned de-risking, and that's really an important part because, when you get ready for that commercialization process, you need to be thinking about those outcome studies. You need to be thinking about that reimbursement pathway. You need to be thinking about, you know, what's your competition doing? And those are some of the questions that your investors, if you want to go to a perhaps a series A raise, you need to have those questions answered before you can even really go down that pathway of going to a series A. It should be like overlapping Gantz, right? It shouldn't just be, hey, here's the end of one stage and now it's commercialization. You should have a commercialization pathway in your Gantt chart ahead of time. And, and I would add to that, Skinder, in that Gantt chart for that commercialization, you need to be have the right equipment and the right process to talk to those investors to show them what those, um, what those deliverables are. Barbara? So I'm going to jump in since I've been mentioned twice already. I'm going to I'm going to try to you know say what I'd like to say. But patents, you know, I've been approached twice, both as a provider when I was sitting in that chair and now as a consultant by someone who says, "Hi, I have a patent for," and I go, "And." Uh, so you know, I can get a little snarky during some of those conversations, but because they think that that's the privilege of having gone through that whole government process and you do all the diagrams and fill out all the paperwork and you pay and you do all this, I have a patent. And we go, well, what's the FDA? Show us your FDA letter. Did you get exempt? What is it? Well, no, I have a patent. I actually had a gentleman I had to spend two hours with who wasn't going to leave until I bought something. And I said, first of all, I can't just buy something from you. And I said, healthcare has regulations. We have various things. At least when you go through the FDA project process, even though you might get exempt, you've gone through the good you know, medical device act and you understand all those different things that you need to do as a as a a manufacturer or supplier. And then I've had on the consultant side, I have a patent. I go, okay, where are you going with the patent? Well, I just want to sell it because I don't want to maybe go into the business myself or something. And what the experience I've had, try to connect some people uh, with just think connections I have, whether they be a distributor who's also a manufacturer or whatever is, they just want to intake the information and they basically put it on a shelf or a list. And they may or may not ever commercialize it. And they might give you a pittance for the patent or the license or whatever. So you have to understand a lot of those things way ahead of time. And that, that 
cycle before commercialization is really got to be that real thoughtful stage. And the, the people that I know that understand that when they tell me, you know, we expect commercialization like in four years, I said, okay, so where are you? Let me see that business plan, the Gantt chart. Where are we? Where can I put myself in here? or here or here at some point. So um, you got a lot of great advice coming out of here from all the experiences. So next. <laughs> well, I guess, you know, yeah. would it make Good. sense, would it make sense though, that a lot of the folks that are developing and innovating these techs are basically engineers. They're not, they most likely not business people. Or clinicians. Or right. clinicians, yeah. Clinicians, right, exactly. So. I guess if you're the type of person that, you know, you're great with the idea and, you know, all you know is the idea and how to basically put on paper, the first advice would be what? Well, the thing is that you got to do throughout the process of developing something. We're talking about de-risking. So that's, that is important. You got to de-risk something. But the other thing is you have to create value along the way. So the first little piece of value, the itsy bitsy pieces could be the patent that tells you nothing. And then the next little piece could be regulatory clearance, but there's other things you can be doing along the way before even re regulatory clearance to create value and, um, and to demonstrate that value and to start sharing that value of the marketplace. So I wanted to throw this back to Tom since he's in the evidence business now um, about creating value. I mean, that's one of the things that you guys do at TTI um, health economics research. I don't know if that's the right name of the company, but you know, creating that evidence because evidence is what gets you to reimbursement. Evidence gets you so many other places. Yeah, thank you. Um, it's uh, TTI Health Research and, and Economics, but I was close. Thing, yeah, you're close. <laughs> the, the key thing, it, you're 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 spot on with the evidence, and it's and it really actually. I, I had a note here uh, of first immerse yourself as the innovator in the market that you want to be in you know, be in that patient care area, talking to those clinicians, right? Because that'll help start to point you to the types of evidence that you need. And it can vary quite a bit in the sense of, are you talking about a, process, a product or a system that's going to be used in a hospital? Or are you talking about something that's going to be in a clinic or at the home? So it, it's a different type of evidence that you might be collecting there, um, especially when you're looking at things like reimbursement and uh, return on investment for the um, business unit, and let's face it, hospitals and clinics are business units that you're going to be talking to. So you need to understand that. And you also, uh, as an innovator, uh, need to understand how that's going to impact the workflow. Because you can have the greatest idea, it could be the, the, the slickest thing on the face of the earth. But if you've got to retrain all those clinicians, that's going to be a huge hurdle. So by immersing yourself in your marketplace first, you'll start to get that feedback. And then as you do that, then you can start to understand, okay, what type of evidence am I going to need to generate? You know, is it going to be the type of evidence around patient outcomes? You know, do I have to do a complete study? What's that study going to look like? You know, and that's where we can come in is to help you look at those protocols, help you look at that study design. And we're not in the business of selling a study just for a study. We're in the business of, you know, working with our clients all the way through that commercial pathway. You know, your success is our success. And really what we're trying to achieve is to help you get speed to the patient 
because that's really what we're all about. All of us in this business, we want to do things that are going to help that patient and help that patient have a better outcome for whatever situation that we're trying to address. I think, um, was it Abraham Lincoln said, if I had four hours to chop down a tree, it's been a, the first tree sharpening my axe, right? Like if, if, you, if you think about it, like the, what we see is a lot of uh, entrepreneurs, inventors who have a great idea and they're rushing to market. And it's like, they start running before they figure out where they're gonna go. And, and unfortunately, and Barbara, you had to do this when you're back on the provider side. I had to do this when I was back on the provider side. You'd, you'd have to go, hey man, like, love you. And you skip steps two through like 14 and you need to go back and do it. And I really think if you have an idea or you, you're, let's say you're six months away from uh, FDA approval, right? You submitted a 510K or um, you're getting ready to submit a P or you already submitted your PMA or whatever. Like, if you don't have a clear sense of um, what is your health, your, your HEOR stuff, what are you doing from a health economic standpoint? How's your value analysis pack? What's your go-to-market strategy? Like what's your clinical um, aspect of it? Like you're way behind the eight ball. And I, I think it's kind of hard news to hear, but it's, it's the truth, right? You really need to be thinking about these things as you're getting into it in the first place. Say, all right, well, what is the market? And, you know, the, the thing that um, we think about and just kind of how, how, you, how we think about a market, there is no such thing as the market, right? It doesn't exist. What exists is health systems or doctor's offices or whatever. And so rather than saying, hey, look, there's a, we're going after a $30 billion market and we just need 1% of that. Like you'll never be successful with that approach. And I'm sorry, again, if I'm telling somebody some bad news uh, as, you're, as you're listening, but you're never going to be successful with that strategy. Instead, you need to think about, okay, what's the first account I get? What's the second account I get? What's the third account I get? And you do that by establishing relationships and building up your evidence and, and, and having the relationships to be able to go to them when you get FDA approval, and you're going to be way more effective that way. So I think that's one of the biggest trip-ups that I see a lot of folks having is they just don't plan ahead, and they think about working backwards as opposed to what building the path to get to where they want to be. I think the key thing here is to understand that if you're going to get into the medical device business as an innovator, engineer, or a physician, or a clinician, whatever it may be, you have to see yourself as a marketer at some point. There has to be a commercialization strategy aligned as we were talking about with the Gantt chart. And the same respect with the regulatory Gantt and the development Gantt, it has to be in concert. Even though you may not see that, coming out of it early, if you're not thinking in that regard, you're going to hit a situation where you get to run out of capital mm -hmm. and what then have to scramble. What do you do if you're a commercial leader? Like here's a scenario, right? Uh, what do you do if you're a commercial leader, you get hired in, they're expecting FDA approval through a 510k pathway in the next 90 days and not a lot of it's done. What do you do? What, what is, what is that, what's the 45 day plan look like to try and get yourself and give, your, give yourself at least a fighting chance? As if on the commercial side, you're asking. On the commercial side. Right? Oh, boy. Right? <laughs> Tough questions. Yeah. I would say that you you just have to do some really basic blocking and tackling at that point because you're way behind. But okay, we've got, let's say, 45, 60 days or whatever. 
I would definitely get make sure I was scheduled for uh, key trade shows, even though trade shows aren't as well attended as they used to be. I would already have some uh, webinars or some virtual events set up to track people to. I'd be talking to the media to get this stuff set up. Some, sometimes the rags will help you set up a, um, uh, they'll do the deployment, the invitations, the advertising for your webinars and stuff. I'd be getting all the communication set up that I could do to get it all set up so I could pull the trigger, but even do some stuff in advance um, that's legal. I, I would do some things in advance to try to start attracting people to the website, capturing leads, capturing, you know, capturing names um, so that when you are cleared, you have a bunch of people you can go at. I, those are just some of the things like right off the top of my head. I would uh, chime in, which is that's all good stuff, Ted. The other thing that I would add is I would look at hiring a professional like a Barbara Strain or one of our researchers at TTI and doing a gap analysis, you know, because oftentimes what trips companies up is, is what don't you know? Mm -hmm. Somebody come in and take a really clear look at um, making sure you're, you don't have any uh, traps out there you're going to step in that could really hurt you in the long run and maybe set you back years, if not you know, just turn the whole commercial effort upside down and be completely unsuccessful. I like that. Yeah, Tom, thanks for the shout out. The, but the thing of it is, is that when you do that gap analysis, what I find is they, they're just in the frustration sort of zone mm -hmm. because, oh, but it's so great. And how come they don't understand? And I said, because you're not telling them anything. You're just saying you must have this or whatever. I, we've said, I don't know how many times over and over again, but that voice of customer way ahead of time is just so important is, you know, I've got this idea, you know, I've seen things in the news and there's this gap here and we need to fill it. And I'm into this engineer or whatever, but the most effective conversations is when somebody calls, emails, uh, does the mass marketing, uh, whatever, you know, the work Skinder does, Mike does, whatever, is some well-pointed questions that you're not breaking any laws or anything, uh, you know, against before you get your um, uh, FDA clearance or whatever is. If there was a product that did X, Y, and Z, would that be attractive to you? What would you use it? What are you currently doing? Any of those things to spark a short conversation. Uh, I've had many of those on both the provider and the consulting side, and I'm more than happy to spend a few minutes, regardless if I was a provider or on the consultant side, especially, but you know, they actually pose questions like that. What if we could, you know, close the gap in this healthcare acquired condition? What would that mean to you? Would it mean X, Y, and Z? And what would you be willing to, you know, pay for it and all those sorts of things? That was like a 10, 15 minute conversation, but they got a lot of information about that. Well, and just, that, that makes me think of surveys. You could also do uh, big market surveys and if the people that respond that they're interested in the solution to the questions that you just asked, now yep. you've got a database that you can start working with. Then you, you probably already have content you can share that's legal to share. And then you then like, I don't know if Scott, you want to comment on content, but then there's ways to get content out to people. <clears throat> well, and I, I just, I was just thinking to myself, you know, how many times you get a 510K doesn't mean that it's commercially going to be accepted. 
right? Just no, means that's, that's, that's the whole point. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. Right. So, so my question is, how many times have you guys? Because I, I don't have any experience bringing a company that's you know pre five ten k to market. So my question is, how many times do you see somebody get a five ten k and it just bombs because it doesn't really mm. solve a need? And what does a good company do to make sure that they don't get into that position and waste all that money and time? So I've had clients already just in the three years I've been hanging my shingle out that got the 510K. Uh, they had a you know really good predicate device, all that sort of thing. But what it was approved for and what they really felt it could be sold as and marketed as there's a little disconnect there. So you need some either good engineers if you're not an engineer or you need good um, advisory boards, like a good clinical or non-clinical or, or someone on an advisory panel or somebody that you're willing to pay a, a, even a small amount of money to that'll help make those connection points. And then sometimes, you do need a good lawyer on retainer because they have to help wordsmith and things out there because you're going up against competitors and sometimes it's a big competitive market you're trying to get into but you have like one great thing that's going to set you apart but how do you do that so the 510k it, I also say, okay, so to those people, not just the patent people, but it just means that their product is safe. You know, a 510K means it's very similar to something out there. And I go look at all the predicates, that sort of thing. But it doesn't tell me much. It doesn't really help you that much to market it except to say, here's my 510K number, check that box. But you've got to do all that other work around it. Yeah, in simplicity, a 510K is not a market validation. No. Very good. That's well said. Yeah. Yeah, you can so you can have a 510K and um it might it might be a great product. Maybe it is a terrific product, but you just have the inventor, the management team that's in charge of it. They just don't know how to market themselves out of a wet paper bag. And so it could be a great product, but it fails because they don't do the right kind of messaging. They don't do a lot of things right. And it just flounders. Um, so th those are also potential problems. Like I would imagine even pricing, like yeah. uh, how many times would it, would it cost too much money to make or whatever it is that, you know, if that's not looked at ahead of time, again, this is just a complete waste of time at that point. Yeah, yeah you should have looked at that. You, you need to know way before you go into this that you're going to be, that, that you better believe you have a value proposition. Yeah. And sometimes the worst case scenario is you have a product and it actually doesn't cost much to manufacture and there's not much, you know, raw materials and things that go in it. Somebody tries to set this really high price point and I just go, hmm, not going to work, folks. People will see through that. Let's try to level set that. And on the other hand, somebody may have a product, they're only charging a nominal much and I go, there is so much value out there. Let's change that tune around. So there's a lot to do around. Very good question, Mike, around that pricing. Mm -hmm. I, I think so many companies spend so much money and, and effort on the, uh, on the um, regulatory pathway and aren't as focused on what it's going to take to create and understand the market. Um, and, and that's the, the inventor's dilemma. 
right? Any inventor, mm-hmm. anybody that's ever del- invented anything thinks that it's the greatest thing since sliced bread in every which way. And it's hard to hear that your baby's ugly, even if it's in the slightest bit. Right. Yeah. And clinicians and hospital people, they're really busy. I mean, for you to communicate something to them, uh, we talked about this uh, a couple of weeks ago, you know, Mike brought it up, how busy people are, how hard it is to get through to people, you know, with a value proposition. And I think Tom's comment that 510k isn't a license to success. Uh, I forget what you said there, Tom, but, but yeah, it's, um, it's not permission to be successful. It's just a step. But wouldn't you then, if you if if you were going to invest in in this type of initiative of bringing a new product to market, getting a five ten k, wouldn't you want to have this all nailed down in terms of is is it solving a need? What is the pricing going to be? What does the reimbursement look like? All before you even go and put all that money into a five ten k, would that make sense? Yeah. Um, right way to do it. I, yeah. I think it makes sense, but I think you bring up a good point, and that's when you're talking to your investors, there's a, a natural tendency to want to grab the first and early money that might become available to a CEO or to a company. But you need to look at your investor profile as somebody that's going to help you fill some of those gaps, right? So if you can get an investor that can come in and be on your board that can address you know, certain uh, market issues you might have or certain engineering issues you might have, um, or certain clinical issues you might have, that's a good investor, right? And Mm -hmm. they can be a good addition to your board of directors. And investors don't always need to have all those questions answered before they write that check. What they really are looking for is, are you aware of where those gaps are? And are you doing the right things to fill them? Right, because they see the potential. Yeah, I think they, they see that you know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. I, you know, we should actually like sit down and write out the playbook for like how you come, how you go from, you know, idea to, uh, um, you know, to, to successful company. I think we've got the brain trust to do, to do that. But, you know, one of the things I was just thinking about as we're talking about this is there's a number of checkpoints that you have to make along the way that don't guarantee you're going to be successful, right? Patents. You have to have some sort of patenting. Again, we're not, we're not talking about tongue depressors here. Like we're talking about something with some level of commercial viability uh, or, or you know, uniqueness. Regulatory uh, pathway, you may need to have a GPO agreement. You may need to have a distribution agreement, right? There's, I'm sure there are other things too, but at the end of the day, it really comes down to, are you, pro- take all that and strip it away, right? If you think about, okay, do I have a widget or a thing that I have customers for that will pay me money because they see value in my product? Like that at the end of the day is is what we're talking about. That's what makes a successful business. And as you know, as a, as a guy who loves new stuff, I can tell you, like a lot of people won't pay for new stuff because it doesn't drive value. And Scanner, so you brought up the point about you know babies being ugly. Like the reality is, I think you're you're in a better position to assume that your baby's ugly unless proven otherwise. Um, to save yourself the heartache of burning three years of your time to then realize that like nobody cares right right? or or maybe the people that care are not the people that you're originally talking to and so i i think there's again i feel like i'm the rain cloud today this is not really my i'm like you could do it right um high five people on the way but but the, the the practical matter is which is worse to go in and and 
assume that your idea is good be proven and be surprised or not be proven wrong and realize it was ugly or to burn three years of your life at which point you know during which you probably had other ideas that were equally if not better than the one you're running with and then have something be successful so that's the thing that i think people really need to think about is when you're getting in take the time to really is this going to drive value if so fantastic one of the things that we need to do as part of this podcast and medtech business academy is to be a resource you mentioned the playbook but there's a playbook that exists it comes out of stanford university called biodesign uh as we talk i don't have the author i I literally have it right here stephanos zenios yes it's right there 800 josh mackauer and yep. Paul Locke. There you go. Yeah. 800 pages, right? But it's it's the playbook. And I would uh, recommend that to anybody that's uh, got the appetite to work their way through it, because that really is the playbook, in my opinion. And there's a couple of other universities. I, Rice University comes to mind as well. Uh, they, they've got courses in it um, also. But uh, if you if you look, you can find some of that. Maybe what we need to do is write the abridged version. The cliff note version. Yeah. It's long. Yeah. We, so, can, yeah, we uh, can put that in the show notes. Um, yeah. Uh, for the for the for the podcast, but Mike, back again, back to your question. If you see a good pitch deck, you'll see that somebody knows that they need to address these things, or they have addressed them in the pitch deck. If you see a really good one, and you can work in tandem, you can. It's like these Gantt charts we say that are overlapping. If you if you're pretty confident you're going to get uh, uh, FDA clearance because you know what the credit cards are, so on and so forth, you can be working on the commercial stuff as you lead into that. So. Um, a good pitch deck will show that. If you see a bad pitch deck, you can see that these things haven't been addressed and, and somebody's smoking something really strange because they think the world's just going to come running to them the minute they have um, uh, regulatory clearance. And if I could put one more plug in there, one of the things we do do at TTI is we have a product called Pitch Pro that we take all of this and we help the CEOs uh, with pitch decks and speak investories. One, one of the favorite questions I like... One of the favorite questions I like to ask when, I, when I'm talking to a physician inventor is I always ask, did you bring this to your partners? And if they say yes, then I ask, did they all love it? And they say, yeah, they all loved it. Well, then that's right there, a clear indication that they're all lying to you. Right. Because inevitably, <laughs> there is somebody that did not like it. They just didn't want to tell it to you. Right. And unfortunately, that is about the extent that most inventors take at getting a voice of customer market research. I brought it to my partners. They all told me they loved it. This is the next great thing. And now I'm going to dump all my money into it. Yeah. yeah and I, totally. Peter, I would ask, you know, how much did your partners invest into the startup? When you ask them for money, what did they say? Yeah, yeah. right. I'll get you on the and way And I back. think the symptom we're all sort of maybe seeing at some time or other is that people have this, you know, brand new shiny thing and they want to get to market before somebody else gets the new shiny thing out there. So they cut corners and things. And, it, and sometimes it has backfired or those that take such a long time. I've known somebody, you know, that takes eight years or whatever to bring something to market for whatever reason. And they've been so eclipsed and the pricing is now upside down because you're trying to recoup so much and things that you'll never quite make it out there. So there's a sweet spot for all that timing. 
And so the Gantt chart approach and stuff kind of helps you get to that sweet spot as a go, no go type thing. I think we're getting close to uh, time here. So if some, oh, uh, we've covered a lot of ground. Any final thoughts? Keep it simple and keep it focused and understand where your gaps are. Begin yeah. with the so end in mind. This isn't like a staging type of environment. Begin yeah. with that end in mind and understand you have to, you have to balance multiple, multiple activities from the very get-go. And sort of get a village around you and it doesn't necessarily have to all be on your payroll and it doesn't have to be all at one time. You can bite off that elephant. We hadn't used that one today yet. We used Abraham Lincoln though. I'll have to polish up on those. But surround yourself with folks periodically that can be sounding boards for different parts of your project. Mike, you thought? What I would say is, you know, if I were going to bring something to market and it's my first time and I've never done it before, that would be like climbing Mount Everest. And I would never climb Mount Everest without getting a guide, without somebody to, you know, make sure that I could get there safely because there's a lot of risk associated with that. So I'd definitely be reaching out to you, Barbara and Skender and Scott and Tom and, uh, and everybody on the call today because, Ted, you know, you've done this before and I feel much comfortable having a guide help me. So that'd be my advice is, it's worth the consulting money. What do you think, Scott? I, I think everybody said it well. You know, find your find your tribe of people that are going to help you out and talk to them. And then go beyond the people that you already know. Because mm -hmm. yes. your friends will tell you things that won't hurt your feelings, but may not be necessarily the right answer for you. So talk to people, build up your community and and go to great links. Yeah, and I, I would say we've spoken a lot, almost like the one product company, like somebody's getting ready to start something. But this even goes for companies that have a product line and they're getting ready to launch something new. It's easy how, how quickly you forget the um, the basics when you're getting ready to launch something new. You just think it's going to be accepted. Uh, but one thing I heard in the conversation today, a couple of things was evidence that the uh, that those uh, the product works, that there's a need for the product. That can be found in a number of different ways. And then knowing your market really well. Don't just be a recluse with your idea. Really engage yourself in the market. Well, thanks, everybody. Yeah, it's been fun. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Great yeah. job. Bye. Before commercialization, you need to develop a strategy that will help you understand the market you're entering. Whether it's a healthcare system or a doctor's office, you need to establish relationships and build up evidence even before you get the 510K. If you are entering into the medical device business, you need a marketing strategy and business plan with stages that precede the 510K approval. That way, the transition to commercialization is seamless. Thanks for tuning in to earn your MBA with the MedTech Business Academy.